There's no children's church. So blessed art thou, children. They'll get us to stay and listen to me. But uh, it's going to be a lot shorter than usual because um, I have to work for a living now. Not, not like when you were paying your taxes and paying my wages. So. <laughs> uh, do you have one of those weeks? This is a wretched week. It's been horrible. And uh, I haven't been able to find the Lord anywhere. And um, one of those ones where you've got something really pressing on you and you really can't tell if it's Satan or the Lord. You know, it could be either one of them. I'm really not sure. And I've done a few things um, uh, to, to you know, try and find the source. But it's been a really interesting week. And so I'm kind of preaching to myself this morning and having to remind myself because... Uh, here it is. Well, you'll see. You'll see as we proceed. So I want to talk about the kindness of the Lord. We, oh, In fact, Lord... I remember that, that old saying we used to have when I was first a Christian. If What is it? If you can't find God, guess who moved? Or something like that. Father, I know that you haven't moved and that you, as uh, Jenny read that beautiful psalm this morning, you're always with me when I awake. You know, I'm still with you. If I go to the far side of the, the sea, uh, if I go to the depths of the earth, you're still with me. Nothing can take me out of your hand. Thank you for your wonderful faithfulness, Father. And Lord, you understand our trials as we go through this and that, as we're on mountaintops and valleys, and you're with us all the time. And so I acknowledge you and your unfailing love, Heavenly Father. And I pray that uh, out of my own confusion that I can uh, bring forth, Father, some light and some, some sense, some spiritual sense that will uh, help others as well. And myself, Lord. Amen. And so the kindness of Jesus. We've often read... Uh, here, Romans 11.22, consider therefore the kindness and the sternness of God. And that's usually when we introduce uh, a message regarding the sternness of God. And uh, and quite appropriately too, I think in the, in the culture that we live in, it's good to remember God is the judge. You know, God is, uh, he will judge the wicked and uh, and sinners will not go unpunished. And we need to remember that, that he's, he's serious. But of course the beginning of that first is, Consider, therefore, the kindness and the sternness of God, and it's the kindness that I want to look at this morning. So it's a bit of a perspective. Uh, while we fear God, we love God. It's, 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 a, it's a mental tightrope, but it's a spiritual, uh, quite a natural melding of uh, principles. And so I just want to illustrate that by describing the Lord as a rock. The Lord's referred to as a rock in many places in Scripture. I'll just read a few just to... Lay a foundation. Psalm 31 says, You are my rock and my fortress. Psalm 62, Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. Psalm 95, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. And many, many more. If you get your concordance out, there's quite a column of um, God as the rock. They're movable uh, fortress and rock and protection. So it's a matter of perspective, isn't it, with a rock? A rock can either be a, a terribly hard and cold and uh, and threatening thing, uh, something that you just can't come to grips with. It just won't move. It won't do what you want it to do. It just gets in your way, uh, and and you can't do anything with it. Uh, Matthew twenty one forty four. The Lord said to the people listening, "Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed." So if you're not uh, hiding in the rock. If the rock isn't your your saviour, if you don't know him as we know him, then uh, yeah, he's a he's a form of destruction. He is a hard and unmoving and threatening thing. 
but to those of us who love him, who fear his name, uh, he, is, he is actually broken. He's a broken rock, and he broke on his own behalf. In Exodus 17, Moses struck the rock with a rod, and, and out came the water, signifying or, or symbolizing uh, Jesus was struck by God. You know, Nick did such a great job explaining that this morning. God struck him on our behalf, and out came life. From within him. Later on in Exodus 33, that incredible chapter where we're talking to Moses so intimately, and you're just so jealous when you when you see how Moses interacted with the Lord and said, "Show me, you know, what would you like?" And he says, "Show me your glory." And he says, "Okay." And, and he arranges Moses to go up on the mountain, and he says, "I'm gonna I'm gonna put you in a cleft in the rock. You're actually gonna go in the rock. This hard, immovable thing. You're gonna become one with it, and I'll protect you." so that uh, he could stand God's presence. Likewise, Jesus was, was broken for us. We just celebrated, is that the right word? We just remembered that. And so in Christ, in our rock, we can stand in the presence of God safely without being destroyed. And so it's all a matter of perspective. To one, it's a horrible thing, a hard thing. To another, it's a beautiful thing. And it's actually this incredibly hard thing has broken open uh, for us so that we can come into it. <laughs> So that's our Lord. He was willing to be broken so we could be with his Father. And so the problem, my, my wretched week, <laughs> we live in a, a state of constant accusation. That's what Satan's job is, and he's pretty good at it. And, and uh, uh, <clears throat> He's called the accuser, right? Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And the power, of course, of Satan's accusations is because... For the most part, they're absolutely accurate. They're completely true. Um, we are a bunch of toe-rag sinners, and we deserve everything that he says about every thought and emotion that we have. But on the other hand, we know, uh, and we need to remind ourselves sometimes, because sometimes those fiery darts penetrate our defences, and perhaps we lack faith for a week or something. Anyway, sometimes they find their mark, and we have to remind ourselves that, of course they're true. There's no doubt that they're true. We'd be foolish to try and say that they weren't and, and to argue with them. Um, but that's only half of the equation. The other half of those scales is that Jesus, again, so adequately explained for us this morning, paid the price of that. And we can stand before God with the righteousness of him. We've become the righteousness of God and Christ. So we're as righteous as he is because it's not our righteousness, it's his. And so those scales, while he's absolutely true, um, it's been paid for. And so it's a lie. And we have to keep remembering that all the time. Um, Jesus came to destroy the works of the evil one and, and illuminate that lie and help us because uh, the truth is that we're accepted in the beloved. We're accepted in the beloved. I remember once uh, uh, I did a message in a I use for an illustration, you know, every time you use your card and that little thing bleeps up and it says accepted. So remember that. Every time you go and buy something and you see accepted, yes, praise the Lord, I am. So it's a little sermon to yourself. Unless you're broken, it comes up denied. In which case, you know, <laughs> woe to you. But anyway, make sure, make sure there's some cash in your bank. I love, um, I love that beautiful song. In fact, there's not... Uh, oh, no, disregard. I, found that wasn't true. Um, it says, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who put an end to all my, made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's, uh, I love that hymn so much. So God's standard, even in the New Testament, though, and, and this just exacerbates our problem, really, because you know, the law is a, is, a, is a horrible and hard thing to us sometimes. 
even in the New Testament, the Lord just made it worse, really. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount says, you know, it's not just what you do, it's, it's what you think. He, he describes somewhere when the Pharisees were warping on about, oh, your disciples don't wash their hands. And the Lord said, it's not what goes into your body, what goes in just comes out again, you know. He says, it's what comes out of a man that counts. And on the Sermon on the Mount, he talked for pages and pages um, uh, about it's not what you do it's what it's the motivation that makes you do that thing it's not the the lust it's not the the adultery it's the the thing where it got born you know we're not just sinners because of what we do we're sinners because of what we are and so his standard is incredibly high and you know the pharisees they thought you know we we tithe mint and come in well yeah whatever you know that ain't nothing compared to what god's real standard is it's much worse than they thought it was and so uh you know the lord sets this incredible bar and the mature Christian, of course, needs to, needs to remind themselves, but understands that that bar is necessarily impossible. It's there to make us realize that this is impossible. The Lord is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, to realize that other part of the scale. Yes, Satan's right, but yes, it's been paid for. So press on. I love you. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and, and I'll give you rest. God is the righteous judge. As I said, describing the rock. He won't let the wicked go unpunished, nor the righteous undisciplined, but he welcomes those who fear his name as children. Even the, even the righteous who fall, you know, there's some of our heroes are uh, uh, David. Of course, we love mentioning David. I'm so glad that David did those dumb things. And I know you understand what I mean. Obviously, it would be better if he hadn't. But because we love David and we see how much God loved David and how much David loved God, those Psalms, if you've never lived your life, through those psalms, you know, and, and if you've ever had a problem and, and if you've never been able to relate to it, then go and open that book and, and cry and pray and laugh uh, through the psalms because they describe the whole human experience. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah, the fact that David wrote those beautiful things uh, and the intimacy that he had with God, and yet he was an adultering murderer. You know, what a comfort that is, isn't it? Uh, how God showed so much grace. Hi, Teresa. To... Uh, you know, one of his favorite, well, not favorites, but one of his closest friends went and denied him three times on the day that he needed him the most. Uh, and then he was restored so beautifully afterwards. Uh, that's the kind of God that we have. Of course we fail. And uh, of course Satan's accusations are true, but he welcomes those of us who want to enter into the rock and have faith in his name and fear him. He does not treat us, Psalm 103 says, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Later on it says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he separated them. It's like, you know, the, it's like us repenting. We turn away from our sins and it's like east and west. They're not even, it's not that they're far away, it's that they're facing opposite directions. And so they're diametrically opposed. Well, it's wonderful that, uh, did I read that? I hope I read the verse that, uh, stand by, wait one, caller, your caller is important to me. I must have deleted it. I go through and hack and slash and cut out all the, try and cut out all the dross because I know that I'll add plenty while I'm delivering anyway. Um, Jesus said, uh, come unto me because I'm gentle and humble in spirit. That was actually going to be my key text. <laughs> Fancy missing that. I'm gentle and humble in spirit. That's the nature of, of our Savior. He'll receive you know, a bruised reed he won't break and a, and a smoldering wick he won't put out. Um, for those of us who are, who are hurting, confused and lost and that should be all of us because we don't know what's going on because we only see what's in front of us, uh, then he will receive us and, uh, and take us in. But yeah, the fact that he's gentle and humble of spirit, only Jesus 
can say, can boast about being humble and still actually be humble. It's, it's a running Christian joke, right? Oh, I'm so proud of my humility. Well, somebody called me humble the other day, you know, in a, in a Christian context, a guy at work. And, and of course, instantly that awoken pride in me. You know, it's just so bizarre. Um, you know, Paul said, oh, stand by. Paul said in Romans 7 7, I would not have been aware of coveting if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing its opportunity through the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. You know, and if I was going to make an overhead thing for this sermon, I would have put a, a wet paint sign on and somebody, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't have touched that wall unless it said wet paint. But now I just want to know. You know, the temptation uh, is instantly born in you once you realize that there's a law to be broken. And likewise, somebody said, you're humble. And I thought, well, not every Christian is, you know. <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> you know, you do it too. So, you know, I know I'm in good company. But uh, humility, we just can't handle it, can we? We're just not good at it. And yet that's what's required. And that's what Jesus is like, the humility to be able to wash our feet, to come from heaven. You know, when uh, uh, poor old uh, John the Baptist, Jesus says, I want you to baptize me. He says, I can't baptize you. You're the Messiah. You should be baptizing me. John just got it wrong and Jesus corrected him. But, you know, that kind of, wow, why would God take on the nature of a servant? He didn't come to, to, serve, but, uh, to be served, but to serve. And, and he showed us the way to do things. He didn't come to, uh, to conquer the world. Well, he did, but not the way we thought. He came to be stripped almost naked and beaten and, and hung on a cross and, and ridiculed and humiliated and, and you know taunted and all those horrible things that they did while he was up there. That's incredible humility. Uh, and it takes the same kind of humility, I find, for us to be able to say, yes, God, I need you, to, to allow him, you know, that the balance of that scales, to allow... We love to fight Satan ourselves, or at least mankind does. You know, they like to say, no, we can fix this. You know, we'll just change the economy. We'll save the whales. You know, we'll stop cows farting and the ozone will close up again and everything will be nice and we'll just tax people a bit more. You know, all that absurd stuff. Um, but it's the humility to say, no, nah, we, we don't have a clue what we're doing. We're helpless and we're wretched and we're blind and miserable. And uh, allowing Jesus to balance the scales for us takes incredible humility. So both he and us, we need to show the same humility that he did. Um, receiving instruction, I find, is a key to humility as well. I've got a chap at work, you know, supposed to be training him, and he's just—he's not a—he's not a great listener. It's kind of hard. Maybe I'm not a good communicator either. But anyway, he's just not listening, and it's really hard going. But I had a little Elliot here, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and we were building a birdhouse in the in the garage. And the little guy just, everything like, how do you do this? You do that, Ali, and he'd do it, you know? It's just, he just took it for granted that somebody else knew better, and, and I'll do what he says. And likewise, Jesus said, if you want to come to me, if you want to enter into that rock, you have to do the same, you know? Just take it for granted that I know better, and that you're just a little kid, and you need that kind of humility. The world has a, a corrupted view of humility. You know, for them it's a terrible thing. For us it's something greatly esteemed that we struggle with pride with if we ever find that we're doing well in it, you know. Uh, the world, what was the definition? Oh, a, a low self-regard and a sense of unworthiness. You know, it's like 
I'm just a worm, so step on me, God, and watch me squirm. You know, it's, it's like I, I'm nothing. It's not a low self-regard. It's no regard. It's putting others before yourself and regarding everybody else as higher. Uh, the unworthiness, well, that's true as well, but, you know, it's also having the uh, humility to be able to say, uh, I have internal value in the beloved. I am incredibly valuable to the one who matters the most, you know. So in some cases you could say that's a boast. Jesus, when he was arguing with the Pharisees, was was quite clear, you know, I am who I say I am. I'm the son of God, I'm without sin. You know, he, he said it as it was. He wasn't boasting, he was just telling the truth. And yet it never never invoked uh, or provoked pride in, inside him. The thing is, uh, oh, yeah, I'm gentle, come to me. And so God knows that we're slack with prayer and Bible reading and good works and witnessing and the F word, fasting, and passing on to the next generation, you know, beating, beat yourself up about that because my kids aren't all missionaries in China. So you know, I must have failed. But um, but don't let that steal your joy. You know, that's not what God's about. We press on when, you know, we buff it, we fight, and we try and get this flesh under control. You know, when you try and take every thought captive, if you love the Lord and call according to his purposes, he'll work that stuff out in you. You know, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness because they will be filled. Not today, not tomorrow. It won't happen overnight. But, you know, it will happen. Um. I've never been encouraged by stories like John Wesley, you know, or or um, Salvador and Hayworth, you know, who fill up every minute seeking the Lord and studying. Um, sorry, man, I just teasing. I was just I was inspired by what you said before, and it's great what you're doing. Um, John Wesley, you know, he's famous for writing sermons on horseback while he's going from town to town to to preach, and and he's famous. He fasted every Friday like the whole day, you know. Um, have you heard the forty-hour famine? We had some. Some kids we were having dinner with on Friday they said, we're doing the 40-hour famine. You're only allowed four kinds of food. <laughs> it's not, not just barley sugars anymore. It's because it's not good for children to go without, so they're only allowed four types of food. I don't know, don't know exactly what the categories were, but, you know, poor kids. You know, we wouldn't want to actually empathize with the people who don't have food to eat. Anyway, so that's, uh, that's fasting for you. Oh, dear, we were talking about something spiritual. <laughs> Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. So he fasts every Friday. You know, he learnt Hebrew and he learnt Greek and he studied and studied and prayed and prayed. You know, that's just not my calling. I can't do that. I work a bazillion hours in a roofing factory and then I drive home in the dark and usually fall asleep in front of the telly, you know, to be honest. And and then Ross wakes me up and I go to bed and do the same. And so that's why this is the last page and we're nearly finished and you get to go and beat the Presbyterians to the bakery. <laughs> so... So, you know, God bless John Wesley, and I'm, I'm so glad the Lord has made men like that. Uh, he did some necessary stuff. Um, but, you know, if that's not your ministry, it's not your ministry. But do whatever you do, do it with all your heart and soul and mind strength. So I, I pray on my way to work, you know, and I serve my boss as hard as I can, and I get pooped out by the end of the day, and I love it, you know. Um, but I, it's not as cool as I was, you know, between November and getting this job, and I got to hang out and hear heaps and, and seeking the Lord really hard. That was great, but you know, stink, you know, the work just But God's in there, you know, God's in the workshop, God's in the chapel. Um, if you're discouraged by your failure to do good, uh, and your failure to do better even, you know, you keep thinking I'll do better and you know, sometimes I think I'm slipping backwards. 
But uh, it's not up to us. You know, we do say that many times, but we have to remember that. It's not up to us and our, our great efforts. Um, God told Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and prophesy. I want you to go and be an evangelist and win that whole city. And he said, nah, and, you know, he took off. And God wasn't going to let that man. They must have had a great relationship, right? I mean, Jonah was disobedient and he was obstinate and he was, he was all sorts of things. But he talked to God and, and he knew God intimately. Uh, and just the interactions, you can tell, you know, this is just a naughty child, but it's a child. And so Jonah ran away, but God loved Jonah too much to let him run away. You know, sunk the ship, brought a fish. Uh, Jonah's still sulking, uh, but he goes and does his thing, and then he goes up on the hill hoping that it won't work and that they'll get destroyed anyway. And, and then the vine dies on him, you know, the, the shade vine. And he sulks about uh, the vine. You know, God wasn't going to let him have that sulk. Every time we do something stupid and, and run away from God or, or disobey, he's not going to let us go. He loves us far too much. So it's not up to us to, to be more humble. You can't be humble. No matter how hard you try, any success you have negates the success because you're proud of the success. You know, That's just the sin that's within us. We just can't help it. So you don't have to. If you love the Lord, if you're hiding in the rock, God will make you humble. You know, he will make a fish swallow you. He will make you do what he wants you to do. You know, you try and run from God. Uh, we've already, you know, that psalm that Jenny read again. You know, if I go to the far side of the sea, he's already there, you know, waiting for me with a big fish. Uh, he'll, he'll wither your vine where you're comfortable and sitting in the shade, not doing what he wants you to do. He'll get your attention. And uh, I'm so grateful that my salvation and my consecration isn't, and my sanctification isn't... Uh, up to me, it's up to him. And he will complete the work that he's begun in me and, and he will do what he needs to do. And in the meantime, I've got joy, you know. Uh, I guess we're on the right path. Uh, if you go up uh, in an airplane, they've got a, well, out on the airfield, there's a thing called a, a PAPI, Precision Approach Path Indicator. And it's a wee, wee lights that the airplane can see from way off. And if he's on approach and he's on the right uh, right angle, you know, on the line, if he's not too low or too high, then it shines a particular color. If he goes too low, two of the lights will shine a different color. You know, it's just part of the reflection thing, the way, the way they've been made. And so as long as he's got four red lights, he knows he's on that, that path to come in and do a landing. And that's like us. You know, as long as you've got those four lights, uh, sometimes, sometimes a couple of them will go out or turn another color, and the Lord will send a fish and spit you back on the beach you're supposed to be on, you know. And, and so he is faithful. He will bring you in. Uh, for a landing and we so long for that don't we we so long to see the lightning from the east to the west everybody can see it won't be misunderstood he'll come in all his glory with all his angels with him so uh yeah he won't let us uh fall prey to our own obstinance and and willfulness if you receive jesus with the same humility that he received you he will complete the work begun in you and so he says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you're laden with accusations, if you're laden with the, the weight of the law, uh, then uh, come unto him, and uh, he will set you free. So in summary, Jesus' standards are complete holiness. You know, when the, the devil accuses us, he knows what he's talking about. He's read the Bible. He knows it pretty well. He even tried it on Jesus. But he uses it wrong, doesn't he? Uh, so Jesus' standard is complete holiness. And he made it that way so you realize that you can't achieve it and you need him. You need his help. You need to be a child and you need to enter into the rock, in the cleft of the rock, so that you can stand safe in God's presence. Because Jesus receives those who fear him and he begins a work in them that he will not abandon regardless of our failures. 
And so the Lord bless you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Grace of the Lord be with you. Amen.